Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody, you're under the weather. You, uh, I reckon you have the vid. You have the vid? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I could also just have a really bad cold or something. I do have something. Um, and I kind of got together with some friends on a Zoom call last night and possibly got into the whiskey just a little bit. And so I felt like crap before I went to bed last night, but I was convinced I was convinced it was that I had drank and then stopped drinking. I'm, I'm not good at that. If I'm going to drink myself to a certain point, I need to just go to bed while I'm still under the influence. But, well, I woke up in the middle of the night and it was not a... Uh, not a whiskey-induced thing. I've got a cough and a headache and stuff. I might have the COVID. I don't know. Well, I definitely don't have the COVID, and I'll I'll drink the whiskey for you tonight. I and have. You can drink your you can drink your water. First time. I'm gonna drink water. Well, Jim, welcome to the roundup. Um, this is a current events look at what's happening in the hunting industry and the outdoor industry. And um, we're so happy to have you. Um, you are someone that we follow. And 
why don't you just uh, why don't you give a, an introduction to yourself for the you know ten people that listen to us on a regular basis? Love everything you guys are doing and the messaging you're putting out. Um, it's really good stuff. So I appreciate you having me on. Um, and uh, yeah, I just a little bit of background. I, I live out west. I'm in Idaho. I started a platform called the Western Huntsman. Uh, consists mainly of a podcast and some articles and different various things that we're involved in. And um, somehow, uh, 18 months later, I ended up on your show. So uh, here we are. Well, we're just happy to have you, man. And uh, I'm sure you're going to bring some enlightened discussion to the table. We do not hold any punches in the roundup. We may disagree with you. Uh, Cody likes to disagree with folks just for the sake of argument. <laughs> right, Cody? No, it's not just you, not our guests. <laughs> That's true, too. Um, but we do like to um, just, in the beginning, talk to people a little bit about what we have going on from a Blood Origins perspective. Obviously, we have the supporters program that is uh, always on the go for people for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. Jim, have you ever hunted overseas outside of America? So uh, that's a tricky question, Robbie. Um, I, I was in the service with loaded weapons on multiple different continents at one point, and I'm not going to uh, confirm that <laughs> things were shot, and I'm not going to not confirm that. Um, so mainly with, uh, with a tag in my pocket, I've only hunted in North America. Good answer. Good answer. Um, but if you did want to hunt overseas, Currently, in the May Supporters Program, we have a red stag and wild boar hunt in Spain. All-inclusive, three days, two nights, phenomenal uh, accommodations. And you can win that for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. Three bucks, four bucks. How much is coffee in Idaho? Uh, yeah, you nailed it, man. Three to five bucks. That's all we ask for. And, and really, that money is there. For the real fancy stuff, I guess. Exactly, for yeah. the fancy stuff. And for us, that's just supporting us doing what we do, doing pushing the content on a daily basis. And we just have a bunch of supporters uh, like Encinero Outfitters in Spain that said, hey, we love what you do, just like you said, Jim. And we want to support you guys. And here's a hunt. Try and drum up some support. So... If you're not a supporter of Blood Origins, go do it. Go sign up. Three bucks, four bucks, five bucks a month. You'll never miss it. And it's really helping us do what we do. Absolutely. Anything else, Cody? No, I think, you know, we just finished a big project. Have another uh, really cool project um, that we'll be announcing here shortly. Um, always kind of, uh, I, I won't give away the surprise, but I will give away the surprise that it's always fun to announce projects that are already funded. Um, so exactly. we can, we can, we can celebrate with our, uh, following instead of begging them to help us get to a point of being able to actually do this crazy idea that we came up with. Um, and I believe for sure the next one, possibly the next two projects that we're announcing, um, are, are already funded so that makes it a lot less uh just celebrate and have fun with it instead of me stressing about how the heck we're going to pay for these crazy ideas that Robbie has that we're going to try and pull off when's that coming Robbie this month or into june uh first week of june first, first week, week of june we will announce the uh the next project cool no Jim, Let's any enlightening words that you want to start us off with tonight? Me? 
Yeah, did no, you say no, Jim you or Cody? In lightning words, Jim always has. <laughs> no, I, there's, a, there's a stock. I know I have an accent. I know I have an accent, but there is a stock difference between Cody and Jim. Well, I, I think I that's enlightening in itself there, Robbie. I, I, uh, I've, I've kidded around with people in the past when we've, we've talked about your platform and stuff. And I say, you know, I really like what Robbie says and talks about. Uh, it's, a, it's aligned with a lot of my beliefs and messaging and everything. But he sounds a lot more eloquent. And it's, there's just something sexy about it. So I, I appreciate that, Robbie. So hopefully that's enlightening enough. <laughs> Dang. I, I, I need to record that and tell my wife that people think I'm sexy. <laughs> you should. We have an entire platform. We have an entire platform based on an accent, Jim. That's, that's, all, that's all we've got going for us. <laughs> and we just push hard and ride that horse. Hey, whatever it takes, man. Damn. That cuts deep. That <laughs> All right, Jim, so, since you're the guest, we of, often just toss it over to the guest uh, to pick whatever subject you wanted to tackle uh, first. We sent you a bunch of articles that came out this week. Pick whichever one fits your flavor and let's roll. Yeah, so I've got a couple of them pulled up. Um, I'd like to talk about that first one you sent, and it's called Recreational Hunting, 50 Years of Scientific Research. It, I'm not sure, I'm not super familiar with, with who wrote this article. And I, I kind of want to talk about that in, in maybe one of the things that we, we've been focusing a lot uh, over on my podcast is, is discussing some of the, the way that hunters portray um, our lifestyle and our messaging and what we're putting out there on social media and things of that nature. Because I think that that article, if, if, let me make sure I've got the right one here. Yeah. And so one of the things that always bothers me with, with articles like this one is some of the wording that they use in, and kind of the packaging they use in their marketing, uh, when they're, when they're kind of putting everything under the umbrella of trophy hunting or recreational hunting and, and really. So Jim, just go ahead for a second, Jim, where was this just the, give us the title of the article and where it was published. Uh, Recreational hunting: fifty years of scientific research from Africa Geographic. Is that? Are you guys? Do you have that one pulled up? Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to make sure so that the audience understood what the article was that we were we were tackling. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not really the message of the article that I I was. It's it's more the wording, the trophy hunting, and and I I kind of like your take on. Uh, I'd like to get your take, uh, or you guys get my take, whatever way you want to take that. But um, the term trophy hunting, what is trophy hunting? How do you guys define trophy hunting? Because from my standpoint, I don't see um, trophy hunting doesn't really exist in in how it's marketed or portrayed. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I know that there's folks that, that uh, and, and specific to Africa and South Africa, you know, you get these folks that go out there and they, they go hunt and they, they only want the, the mount or the trophy, so to speak. And so some people refer to that as trophy. But when, when we're looking at this from that perspective, there's nothing that is really wasted. And that, I, I guess, it just bothers me. It's a trophy hunting. What is trophy hunting? How do you describe or how do you, how do you uh, define trophy hunting from your perspective? Jim, Jim just steps right off in it. I like that. Let's dance because this is a this is a great conversation. Um, it's a conversation that we have forms of in a very regular basis. Um, that to me, the vast majority of people use trophy hunting, the words trophy hunting. Because I say I hear 
very few to maybe no hunters use the phrase, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know anyone in 46 years of being around hunters that has ever introduced themselves to me as a trophy hunter. Now, the thing about it is it's almost non-existent in the ways that they characterize it, in the negative aspects of it. It's almost non-existent in North America. Now, that does not mean 100% that I don't get excited about a big set of horns when I'm out hunting. 100%. Yeah. That's a thing that I'm like, oh, man, this is cool. But it's not why I'm there. It's not why I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm there for the experience. I'm there for the camaraderie. I'm there for the outdoors. And I'm there for the meat. And, if, and I have, I have, uh, I have a, here, here's a quick story. I have a journal and in my journal, I, I bought a bow at a garage sale when I was 17 years old. Last Monday was my 46th birthday. It's the only bow I've owned in that time frame. Huge shout out to high country archery who I'm not, I don't believe is still even in existence. Um, but this bow's lasted me. If I'd have gone one more year, I would have had 30 years in this bow. Wow. And I shot, I shot and killed 86 whitetails with that bow in 17 different states over the course of those 29 years. One of them is on my wall. And it's a little, re I bet that it measures 85 inches because it's the first one that I took. It's the first archery deer I ever took. It's not about the horns for me. I do have Africa horns on my wall. And I think when we talk about Africa, what no one ever deals with when they're calling African, they're saying they're exclusively trophy hunters. Well, we can't bring the meat back, right? Mm -hmm. I 100% would have brought all the meat back from the things that I harvested in Africa if I was legally allowed to. So I, there's so many caveats to it. I don't think hunters actually use it. I don't know anyone that horns is the only reason that they hunt, um, but that's a negative marketing aspect that's portrayed on us. Now, I've never really tried to push back against this. Robbie and I have had this conversation about a lot of words. It's the whole harvest versus kill conversation. Which one do we say? Yeah. I don't push back against it. They can say whatever they want, but it's a great marketing tool because they have a large percentage of the world convinced that, you know, the only thing that we're out there shooting arrows and bullets for is so we can hang things on our wall and brag to our friends. I just, I don't know those people. I don't know those hunters. You know, that's, that's a great point, Cody. I, I mean, what, to, to the point that you're making there, like I'm not a good enough hunter to have a bunch of trophies on the wall. I, uh, what, what they are to me there, I don't look at them as a, as a trophy. They're a memory. Um, I, I like you, I have a, I have a very small little three by three whitetail that I have, uh, on the wall right here in the studio. You guys can't see it, but that was my first whitetail ever. And it was a, it was a significant and impactful time in my life. And that's what that, that deer reminds me of. And the, the, I had a guest on my show that talked about, you know, his trophy room is, is the freezer. And so what you were talking about with, you know, nobody, nobody talks about, well, I'm going on a trophy hunt this weekend. That's exactly right. Nobody, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've never called, I, I've never said I'm going on a trophy hunt. 
because that, that's never the end game. And like you, I want I want the biggest bull. I want the biggest buck. Uh, you know, whatever the case is, the biggest bear. Um, but uh, my I'm I'm with my guest Mike. Uh, my trophy room is that freezer, and that's what I go for. And the and and the experience and the and that connection with nature. Uh, I believe that it is in our, you know, it, it's it's within our souls. You know, this is what we do. This is what we were designed to do. This is what mankind has been doing since the beginning of time. So to sit there and write articles like this, where there's kind of like this emphasis on, well, what do we do about trophy hunters? I don't know any trophy hunters. I don't even know that trophy hunting exists because th it's not that that is not the purpose behind it. And so it's a misconception that's being portrayed. Definitely in terms of wanting waste. And really quickly, I want to add this point too, though. I know a lot of guys. And in fact, the biggest example I've ever been, I was in with Robbie, um, I believe in Mississippi, that have trophy rooms that will, in fact, blow your mind. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't want to mention names, but we were at someone's house. We were in either in Mississippi or Alabama. And I'm talking about, this guy had shot the North American 29 mm -hmm. and had them all in a room, in one room. And, but then we sit down and talked with him and building out that trophy room wasn't why he did it either. It wasn't his motivation. I, I think that's the big problem. I have no problem with, you know, and we all know guys that have got 25 deer heads on the wall. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But that's not why they did it. And, and none of that went to waste that's that's the biggest misconception when the when the antis talk about trophy hunting even in africa where i didn't get the meat from the from the seven animals that i killed over there all of the meat got used yeah. every bit of it in a way that's quasi embarrassing to me because i'm not using like they use some stuff that i don't use right like like it's that African hunting is way more utilized the meat and a bunch of things that I don't even like to touch, let alone eat that they do. Um, th th there's less waste happening there than there is in North America where we usually throw the guts in a pile. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It, it drives me crazy. It's a great conversation. That's nothing but a marketing and propaganda tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, um, you know, when we're talking about when the, the San Francisco senator in California came out with the bear ban bill this last winter, um, it wasn't worded as, you know, we're going to ban hunting. It's, it, it was worded as we're going to ban trophy bear hunting. And that's how it's packaged. And, and that's where we, we struggle as hunters and, and just as a community, like, how do we counter that? Because you can, that, that's an easy headline to make. It is not a, such an easy headline to come back and say, well, it's actually not. Uh, trophy hunting. These hunters go out, they work their, their, their butts off. They, they tag these bears out. They, they take the meat, they use the meat. Uh, they might make a rug or, or whatever the case is, some kind of mount out of that bear, which is a great uh, tribute to that animal. And, and so, so to call it just a, a trophy bear hunt in, out, of a, out of a senator in an area of the country that doesn't have bear problems, uh, to, to, to kind of meddle in that side of it, I, it's, it's something that you know, it like keeps me up at night. I, I worry about this stuff. In fact, it's one of the foundational reasons why I started uh, my platform is to kind of combat this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's a complicated issue. No, I think Cody nailed it in that, 
you don't hear typically trophy hunting in America because the meat component is used and taken home. In Africa, you can't take the meat home. And so there's this connotation that the only reason you went there is because you went to come take this head home with you. So I think that definitely the fact that we use the meat here in America really takes away the connotation of trophy hunting. And, you know, in terms of the article, going back to the article, the article was, it was actually just, it wasn't a very good article. They they said they went through a thousand different papers and looked at all these different species and they broke it down by species and whether species were increasing or decreasing or inconclusive in terms of the study results. Yeah. And, you know, they listed them all. They had green, red and blue bars and whatnot. And they said that lions are declining, you know, across the board. Um, but for the majority, most things are increasing. It was just a very high level. Uh, I, I wanted more. I wanted more depth. I wanted more definitive yes, no's, especially since they'd reviewed a thousand articles. Yeah. But that's not what we got out of it. It's the, but we did get a good discussion about trophies. Yes, we did. It's, it's the uh, most inconclusive 50-year in-depth study I've ever read. Yeah. Literally the concluding sentence is we need to do more research. Yeah, I know. 50 it's, years and a thousand paces. It's become evident to us that we need to do more research. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. Let's go to the, let's go to the next one. I'm going to pick the next one. I want to talk about Arthur the bear. Okay. Hold on. So the setup for this is that there was the prince, the prince of Liechtenstein. Uh, went into Romania and was accused of poaching one of the largest bears in Romania. Uh, so if you don't know, uh, and if you haven't read yet, David Guaman's uh, Monster of God, in that he has a chapter about the brown bears of the Carpathian Mountains in Romania. And they've got a very strong population of brown bears, very big brown bears. And so it's a, it's a destination to go brown bear hunting. And lo and behold, uh, the 17-year-old prince from Liechtenstein went over there and killed a very famous bear, Arthur. The, the, the prince is 32. The bear is 17. Oh, 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 I misread that. Good catch. Good catch. And so it ties into this whole idea again where we start getting into issues when people start anthropomorphizing wildlife and start naming wildlife, mm -hmm. Cecil, the lion, Trekker, the elephant, Arthur, the brown bear. And so I guess, Jim, what do you think about the idea of naming things? Because, hey, we name things in the whitetail world, don't we? We name things in the elk world. <laughs> yeah, I had an elk name. I, I named him Mr. Chuckles, but... Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge uh, fan of it as, as far as, you know, when you're, lo when you're looking at the, the problem with, with what, like this article and, and in full disclosure, I did not read the entire thing, but um, when you're looking at something like this, Arthur the bear or Cecil the lion, right? You're, you're almost putting this humanistic um, like marker on this animal. And, and it's, it's kind of, you're, you're looking at the animal in from like an individual sense. And I think that this ties into a lot of things that we see coming out of, you know, Hollywood and uh, they make shows called Bambi and, and, and they're, they're putting the, this, 
persona on on these animals and and it's it's individualizing them as as if that's as if they're a human right the the problem with with that is it makes people emotionally attached to this this one animal I, i've got i've got somebody in my neck of the woods bears are a big issue in in north idaho we we've got we've got major issues and we've got these photographers up in the area that kind of make it a habit of trying to go out and get these photographs of of these wolves and there's one particular wolf that he's he likes he likes the the spotlight he's he's really into being famous getting his picture taken you know and well that wolf was trapped and and somebody was successful trapping this wolf and what there there's two things that come out of that when when you try to humanize and you and you name this wolf that is uh, part of a, a an ecosystem that is you're you're not taking a holistic approach to it it's it's you know you're humanizing it or you're individualizing it whatever you want to say there and and you want to go out and start taking pictures and and making it used to to seeing humans and and getting close to it that way it makes that wolf a lot more susceptible and then they get so bent out of shape when that wolf actually does get harvested and that just like this article I, I hope that's making sense. I, for, for me, I look at wildlife from a holistic standpoint. They, I, I, look at, I don't look at one deer. I look at the entire population of deer in a particular ecosystem. I don't look at one elk. I look at a herd of elk. How did that herd of elk, how did they fare through the winter? How did, how did the, uh, the local wolf populations affect that herd? How did the uh, winter affect that herd? How did the calving season turn out? What is hunting season doing to pressure these, these elk? Uh, same thing with deer. Same thing with bear. Uh, and and especially the same thing with wolves and and so these these factors when you're when you're looking at them and and they're making you know from from a young age these cartoons are are kind of showing or are putting this emotion into children about this this bear that's that's really friendly on TV or a wolf that's really friendly and and then they they grow up into adults with no exposure to the outdoors. And they find themselves having this emotional attachment that really doesn't belong in wildlife management. Does that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. Um, and I'm, I'm totally. I feel like I kind of went all over the place there. <laughs> no, no, it's it, totally right. I, we actually did a podcast with a guy that talked about soap operas uh, not washing wildlife, and he talked about being in the journalistic game. And the idea, from a journalism perspective, is providing emotion and drama and actually creating family units of wildlife. And you've seen them sort of the big cat diaries, the lions have a family and that family interacts with the leopard family and interacts with the cheetah family. Where mm -hmm. in the wild, that's absolutely bogus. There, there is no such thing happening, but it's doing it because it's selling ratings. And nobody realizes this, but big cat diaries in the UK is actually slated at the same time slot as all the soap operas in the yeah. UK to maximize emotion and drama and stuff like that. I'll, I will say out of this article, I quite enjoy the fact that the royal family said, we're not available for comment. <laughs> and the prince was personally, I do not want to get involved in the discussion in any way. He didn't say no, he didn't, he didn't say no comment. He said that was his comment. So, yeah. I mean, I, when... I, I like it. I like that they stayed out of it. I did a little bit of research here. I found a BBC Sorry, Cody, article. I didn't mean to cut you off, man. No, you're fine. I, I found a BBC article from 2019, where in 2016, Romania banned the hunting of bears. And in 2019, the fatalities from, from bears, um, there was, was up 
So they brought hunting back to manage their bears. Um, it seems like the Romanian bear is actually a very good example of how, especially alpha predators need to be managed. Um, and, you know, I guess there was the whole, with the prince, he was supposed to shoot a female um, in a population control method. That's part of the part that people seem upset about. Um, but just the uh, anti-hunting rhetoric of it, Romania is a good example of, you know, if we don't do something about the Northern Rockies grizzly population, we're going to be having this argument in a pretty, in a pretty hardcore way in the next few years. And Romania is the proof of that, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The grizzly bear is a whole podcast in itself, man. <laughs> no doubt. Look at you, Cody, doing a little bit of scientific research. I like it. Trying. Trying to keep up. <laughs> Stay relevant. Now, Cody, you want, you want the next one? Uh, no, go ahead. You pick it. All right. I quite like the idea of a little bit of wildlife revenge. And there was an article that was pushed out by the Washington Post in which um, elephants in Kruger National Park trampled a suspected rhino poacher to death. Uh, and the article goes in to talk about, you know, breeding herds of elephants are pretty, you know, they're the ones that you do not want to mess with. Big males, you can figure them out. You can actually interact with big males, but herds of females, you just don't interact with. And, um, you know, Kruger National Park has a major rhino poaching problem right now. Uh, they're seeing a lot of rhinos being taken out by poaching syndicates. And lo and behold, uh, the suspected poacher uh, was killed by, uh, and this is, and, and actually it talks about it in 2019, even though this article was, uh, let me make sure it was published on April the 20th, on 2021. Um, but it, it, it talks about the, the fact that the guy was trampled to death by elephants. Then it says in 2019, another incident, a suspected rhino poacher was killed by an elephant and then devoured by lions. And all that was found were his skull and a pair of pants. <laughs> dramatic. That's very dramatic. Well, it's not that dramatic when you know. Robbie, I missed this one. I, I did not see this article. No, that's a good one. And it's actually not that dramatic. I did a lot of my research on the northern plains of Kruger National Park. And the Kruger National Park is just this really flat landscape. You have no geographical reference. And the only geographical reference in that part of the world is a set of electrical lines that come out of Mozambique through the northern plains of Kruger National Park and head into South Africa because Kabora Bass is a big electric generator for South Africa. And so these guys that they call them deer lopers through walkers will use the, the electric lines to determine where West is essentially. Really? And lions have figured out that that's where the people walk. And so you've got prides of man-eating lions on the northern plains taking out people. And we, we used to find random clothes, bloody clothes. It was, it was, and the stories, sheesh, the stories are crazy. Lions That's awesome. I like that they like discovered that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. It'd be a totally different landscape in northern Idaho. Oh, my goodness, yes. All right, uh, let's do another one. Uh, let me ask this. Uh, Jim, you are a big Western hunter. Did you sign up for the uh, bison cull in the Grand Canyon? I did not sign up for that. Nope. Uh, I've, had, I've had a lot of um, 
I wouldn't say experience. I've, I've never actually harvested or killed a, a bison, but um, I'm pretty familiar with the, the struggle of bison in, in the hunting of bison. And uh, I actually had, I had a really cool opportunity when I was younger. I helped a, a bison farmer uh, build a barn in exchange to be allowed to hunt mule deer on his land. Uh, and I had to kind of traverse through his bison herds while doing it. It was, it was a lot of fun. So um, I did not sign up for the, the culling of the, the, the bison down there, though. No. Well, Cody was certainly a volunteer. And uh, Cody, have you heard anything from your application process? No, I think 12 and 45,000 odds probably doesn't favor a guy like me very much. But no, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> well, this article that we picked up was the, uh, the U.S. Uh, I think it's, was it HSUS that started it or PETA? One of those two. PETA started the petition. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think uh, you're right. I'm looking. They used the whole, like, this is the history of bison and, you know, hunters took them to extinction and how can we be killing bison anymore? And yeah. uh, I, I was quite surprised that they only had 7,500 signatures. Yeah, this article actually says that the Sioux, it says Sioux Chef, which is funny to me that Newsweek misspelled chief because i don't believe they actually wanted to call him a sioux chef um but the chief of the sioux nation launched a petition but the last article that i read said it was in partnership with PETA. um i don't uh and i still it, it's the, it's the exact same argument right it's emotion it's it's emotion if there was if there was a place in places where the ecosystem can handle the bison we shouldn't be culling the bison, but in places where the ecosystem can't handle the bison, we have to cull the bison. It's just it, that when you when you implement math and uh, science into this argument, it uh, screws with these people's heads a little bit. Well, yeah, and for sure. And when you when you're talking about the emotional side and the and the bison, or or you can you could say the same thing about turkeys. You could say the same thing about Rocky Mountain elk. You could say the same thing about white-tailed deer. Yeah, you know, the the focus is always on the numbers that are negatively impacted by hunting, and it's never focused on the numbers that are positively impacted by hunters and the conservation efforts that that hunters hunters make. And we keep talking about bringing PETA in, into the mix. You know, PETA that's PETA to me is like this cottage organization industry in its own. They don't want to actually stop hunting because if if they stopped hunting, they would have no avenue to raise and and generate revenue. And they would be out of business, but they like to make these hyped up, these crazy, you know, claims and, and these, these sensationalized headlines. They really don't do anything positive for wildlife management or wildlife in general, but they're really good at raising money by getting things like, like this in particular. Um, oh, why we got to kill all the bison if, 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 uh, you know, because hunters have already damn near made them extinct and, and, and they sensationalize a, a headline like that. And uh, there's then you get the general public who is not, and I talk about this segment of the of the population all the time on on my show, and that that segment is the people that are not necessarily for hunting and the people, uh, but they're not necessarily against hunting, and those are the people that we have to focus on because a, a dedicated anti-hunter, we're not going to change their mind, we're not going to reason with them, we're not going to give them the facts of 
how it is hunters that brought the whitetail populations in America to the millions that they are in now. Um, but we can make an impact on the, on the people that are not necessarily anti, not necessarily against. I need to come up with like a term for, for those kind of people. And I think that's a vast majority of Americans. They can be easily swayed by organizations like PETA. Actually, I don't even know. I think PETA has lost a lot of credibility lately, but um, they can be swayed by, by you know, the, the Humane Society of the United States and those sensationalized headlines and uh, things that, that make it look that where they demonize hunters as if we're, we're doing some big negative evil towards whatever wildlife species uh, they, they choose to put in the headline. Well, I will say this. I, I agree with you that PETA has certainly lost credibility. I saw an article today, and we put it on the Blood Origins Insta story, about a PETA representative in Australia telling farmers that are currently undergoing a mice plague in their agricultural fields to quit poisoning mice and to do it and to trap the mice ethically and humanely and move them to a different location. <laughs> and they're dealing with tens of thousands of mice. And the, and the deputy prime minister came out and goes, I'm paraphrasing, what a load of hogwash. Yeah. You guys are idiots. <laughs> It was brilliant. I mean, it think about that. I, and think about that. What when when you're when you look at the average individual out there, and I don't care what continent they're on, when they hear some organization like PETA say something crazy like that, they're not that dumb. They know. And that that is exactly why PETA just it really doesn't have a lot of credibility. Like PETA does not make me nervous as a hunter anymore. They used to 20 years ago. But today, I, I don't really care what Pete is doing. I like your breakup of the of the population, Jim. We talk about it a lot. We, we refer to hunters, anti-hunters, and everybody in the middle. Yeah. And agree with you 100%. I mean, the Blood Origins core goal audience is the everybody in the middle to let them know, you know, the the things that we're talking about here today, the the truth behind it of why it's happening, because the groups that are against this, you know, sometimes like PETA, like the senator from San Francisco who blatantly just lied about the bear population. He talked about the massive decline. Senator Weiner. Right. His right. name is Senator Weiner. Right. Right. And, you know, letting people know that um, and those groups in the middle is uh, – that's our mission. That's our core mission as an organization. And that's what I, I am in constant. Any last oh, words? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Robbie. No, no. I was going to say, any last words on, the, on that? Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I think, I think that it's important that um, we kind of touch on, on what Cody was just talking about in, in terms of the, the kind of the, the trifecta of the population or whatever you want to call it. You know, um, we, we have a responsibility to figure out a way, and this is a tall order, but we have a we have a responsibility to figure out a way to communicate our messaging to counter the messaging from the anti-hunting organizations that and and they have a much easier task. They have such, I mean, they can get any celebrity out there with some sad music in the background to um, portray these sensationalized anti-hunting messages. To people that will fall victim to this, not because they're stupid, it's not because they're um, prone to be anti-hunting, 
it's just such a quick and easy message that they could throw out there that really plays on the emotional heartstrings of, of the average citizen. And, and that's where I think as hunters, one of, one of my big drivers is trying to find a way to communicate that message in a way that makes sense to them, that doesn't overly complicate it. And their eyes don't glaze over with all the facts of, um, you know, well, the wild Turkey foundation, you know, because they did this and spent this much money and, and, uh, provided this kind of habitat, they've recovered this many turkeys. That's going to make people's eyes glaze over. We have to figure out a different way to approach that message to counter these anti-hunting messages because it, it's a problem. And it, it really is a problem for the future of hunters and the, the lifestyle that, that has been our lifestyle for thousands of, of years. Yeah, well said. Well said. I think part of that combating that too is using the, using the emotional side of hunters and the motivations for why we do it. it it's so easy to... And first of all, I still think the facts and the science are the ultimate driver of the debate. But yeah. I, I think what Robbie does a great job with here at Blood Origins is also showing the emotion of hunters um, and that we're not just bloodthirsty, quote unquote, trophy hunters um, and that there's a lot more to it um, is it's I honestly think it's working right. Like I think not in leaps and bounds. Um, but a lot of people who would be considered non-traditional hunters who don't look like the three of us, who don't have the backgrounds that the three of us have, are starting to consider it as a viable option for a thing they spend their time on. And that's what mm -hmm. we need, whether whether we like it or not, because the woods get crowded. Um <clears throat> We need that non-traditional group because um, we used to just basically rely on family lineage. My dad hunted, so I hunted. Um, and as that start, as my, my point being, I, I see a lot of encouraging things happening um, as people start to realize that this HSUS and PETA propaganda is just not fact-based. They go and check it out. I, it's there's some positive to it. A lot of negative, but there's some positive to the what's happening today as well. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I couldn't have asked for I couldn't have asked for a better segue, Cody, because we have an article uh, that was published in Fizz.org called "The Next Generation of Hunters Could Look Different." And I don't know if you purposely did that or not. And I don't know if you purposely read the article or not. It was interesting. You're right. Yeah. That's what the article yeah. stated. The article, it was a great article. Go ahead. Yeah, Jim. no, that was a great article. It actually gave me, uh, it actually backs up what Cody was just talking about. <clears throat> because we have kind of this new segment, uh, an unex unexpected segment of the population and, and age group. You know, the, this demographic that's coming in and they're they're choosing to um, they're open to trying hunting. They're open to wanting to get out and, and experience nature in, in a whole different way. And whether their motivation is they like the locally sourced organic meat, or they like the adventure and the connection to, to nature, but these are people that haven't grown up in a hunting family and, and they're, they're wanting to go out there. And, and the numbers surprised me, the, the statistical data that came out of that article really surprised me. And, um, I'm with you, Cody. I know that sometimes we all get frustrated when we pull up to a trailhead and there's three other trucks there, or we <clears throat> hike into a drainage and, you know, there's two other hunters up there bugling for bulls and 
and we feel like, you know, we're just getting taken over and there's hunters everywhere. But, but the reality of the situation is, is we need all the help we can get. And so as frustrating as that can be, uh, it's either hunt a little bit of a crowded area or start learning how to find, cause I can always find areas where there's no other hunters. So, uh, but I'm in the West, so that, that makes a big difference. But for, for those of us that, that get down on the fact that we, we are promoting hunting and want more people in the ranks of hunting, you have to understand it's kind of like a, it's, it's a take it or leave it situation in terms of we can, we can make the best out of the situation we have and grow our numbers uh, and deal with some crowding, or we can see hunting go by the wayside. 100%. And I think that educating people on the truth, like I think that uh, obviously a huge push of that is healthy eating right? I mean, you just can't mm -hmm. get any healthier eating than the things that we take when we're hunting. Um, and that's a huge thing behind it. And I think we should, I mean, the eating has always been a thing. I mean, I can tell you that my dad didn't give a thought about organic, like, was it healthy? Yeah. It was just, we were eating, it was a food supply, right? Um, and so that's a new twist to it that I think a lot of people have, uh, embraced you know that this it truly is the healthiest way to feed yourself and your family and that combined with you know honestly not to not to be not to praise the pandemic but this covid madness has made a lot of people get out in the outdoors or wonder if there might be a time when they have to be able to feed themselves and they don't know if they can um so there's a lot of positive things happening while we continuously get attacked with the negative as well yeah for sure totally agree yeah that's a great point there was some there was some great takeaways in this article um obviously the the current hunters uh, that they surveyed looked like us you know 74 percent male 84 percent white uh, but then they talked about potential hunters and potential hunters were more diverse and uh 47 of them were female and there was a lot of uh ethnicity in, in, in sort of intertwined into those potential hunters. But what I really liked about it was that they, they looked at sort of the motivations and obviously sourcing meat was the biggest motivator for hunting. Um, students across all groups, regardless of male, female, ethnicity, all supported hunting as a conservation tool. And it was almost, and, and what another interesting point, there's two more points I want to make here. Hunt, the, one of the things that was differentiating between active hunters versus the potential hunters is that active hunters were hunting for social reasons or for sport. And I guess the potential hunters never really looked at hunting like that. They look at it from a, they look at it through conservation lens, but they also look at it through the lens of, of securing their own meat. But at the end, it says the biggest takeaway is that many students, regardless of their background, support ecological conservation motivations for hunting. They care about controlling overpopulated species, about improving personal environmental health by eating local game meat. If using messaging that relates to those motivations, instead of emphasizing contentious things like trophy hunting, now we can all agree, and we've already talked about it already on this podcast, and we don't, hunters don't really talk about trophy hunting. It's the anti side that talks about trophy yeah. hunting. We could reel in more potential hunters without eroding support among the people who don't hunt. Yeah, uh, that the one super, you know, I got a story. La last elk season, I ran into two dudes that had immigrated here to the United States um, from Iraq. And 
Um, it was a, a last, they, they, they spoke terrible English. Um, but I was able to kind of get, get some, some information that they had, they had moved here and, uh, they, they were not super impressed with some of the, the, um, quality of the meat that they found in the grocery store. <laughs> and that was their motivation. And they're out there and they're bugling in bulls and they're hunting with a bow. And this is something that, that was not an opportunity for them in, in their home country. And so that, that motivation, I think one thing that I always is always kind of positive in my mind is I feel like people are thinking about it more. You know, when I was a kid, like Cody was saying, we, it wasn't, the quality of the meat was a non-issue. We'd go out there, we'd get a deer, we'd cut the deer up and cook this big loaded baked potato to have with it and pour, you know, a half a pound of butter on it and sour cream and, you know, all these other things to, to kind of make this, you know, this healthy meat just kind of go by the wayside, you know, um, where I, I feel like people are thinking about this stuff a lot more. They're thinking about a more in-depth reason. Like, uh, again, for example, when I was a kid, I didn't think about why I live to go hunt, right? I, that, that, I just knew that I loved to do it. And I think my dad and my, that my family that hunted, I don't think that they ever put a lot of thought into why they wanted to go hunting. All they knew is their parents did it or their uncles did it or their grandparents did it or their aunt did it or their grandma did it. My, my wife's grandma was a big time. She's, she was a big time hunter. You'd be impressed uh, with her stats, but um, they didn't think about that. And, and that's, that's one thing that's positive today is I think, I think people are thinking a little bit deeper about why it is we, we kind of stick to these hunting routes and, and why there's this draw, even for people that didn't grow up doing it. Why is there this draw to go out there and experience nature in this way? Uh, what, what is our motivation to go, to go hunt a, hunt a mule deer in the high country or a whitetail down in the agricultural interface? You know, it doesn't matter where, what the scenario is. It all, it all, it's all the same thing. And hunters all have the same objective, and people are asking those questions. The whys, the uh, you know, I, I think that that's important, and that's going to help with our messaging going forward. No doubt, the whys and the thinking behind it, mm -hmm. right? I think that just as valuable as people just sitting and thinking a little bit more about the whole endeavor, the whole lifestyle, the whole, as you said, you boil it down to the why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have a we have an entire video. We have an entire video series on YouTube um, that's just called My Why. Um, and it's a lot of users submitted that send us their why do they hunt. And some of the coolest ones are the people that, you know, maybe didn't completely prepare before they hit record and they realized that they hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it. And so the, the contemplation that they're spewing out of their mouth, why they're figuring it out for themselves. Um, those are some of my favorites that, uh, and I, I, just like you said, Jim, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, my dad and I didn't sit around and talk about why we were shooting ducks. Yeah. You know, it was something that he wanted us to do together and, and I wanted to do with him and, but we didn't talk about it. And I think reflecting on some of that is not only good for us as individuals, it's good for us to know the answers to those questions when someone asks. Um, and so I, I think that's a step in the, in the right direction for the hunting community, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree more, man. That is, yeah. I think we're cut from the same cloth. All right. Well, I think we've got, uh, we got time for one more and we can either do a 
We could do a heavy one or we could do a, a lighthearted one. Um, I think we'll go with a lighthearted one. And um, the last lighthearted article we have in there was through the New York Times. There's not many funny stories coming out of America in terms of hunting and wildlife and whatnot. So you have to go outside of the United States to get these kinds of articles. But imagine the New York Zoo, the Bronx Zoo. It came out, it came to light that they were missing three of their leopards. <laughs> Man, I bet somebody wished it was like a cockatoo or something that they were missing. Was that? I just that love was a... the fact that they were. Go ahead. Oh, I was at. Was that a New York Zoo or that? I thought that was a zoo in China. That's a New York Zoo. Oh, it was a zoo in China. No, it wasn't zoo in China. I was just thinking, you know, if what would what would the headlines have been if it happened in America? Oh, gotcha. You know. Oh my goodness. But China, yeah. you know, obviously they just they just kept everything so freaking <laughs> tight. <laughs> No, that would never happen here, man. It'd be a shit show. You love that. There was actually, did you see the guy that just last week, though, in Houston, there was a guy that lost a tiger. It wasn't a zoo, but there was a tiger for like six days roaming around Houston that finally someone got it to just like come up to him and pet it and they put a leash on it, which is weird. But no, yeah, it would be, it would be. Uh, no, look. Yeah. That Who has to report that? Who has to go to their boss and say, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm going to Texas to hunt, I'm watching over my shoulder quite a bit because they have, I, I keep hearing this statistic that like Texas has more lions and tigers and, and all these uh, huge predator animals that are, that are actually in the wild, right? Texas has them more in captivity and you gotta, you've got to imagine there, these aren't professional zoos that have these places or, or I'm sorry, have these animals. There's got to be a percentage of them that these things slip under the wire or they jump the fence. And I'm, I don't know, man. I don't know that I want to go into any kind of, you know, wild area in Texas and uh, try my luck with a freaking yeah. Siberian tiger or something there <laughs> that escaped some Texas. Uh, uh, I think of uh, what's that guy's name off that? What's that tiger show that came out that was so popular last year? I don't trust that yeah, guy to keep tiger his tigers King. in all the time. Joey yeah, Gatti. the tiger king guy. Yeah. No. I never never trust no, a man with a mullet tigers, to period. keep a tiger in a cage. That's all I'm going to say. That's 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 uh, <laughs> that's solid Idaho wisdom right there. <laughs> I just love the fact in this article that uh that they the way that they were they found two of the leopards very quickly. The third, a local tea farmer was, you know, obviously harvesting his tea and noticed something. And he thought, well, that looks a little strange. That may be a cat. And then when he took a closer look, he was like, whoa, that's a much bigger cat than I'm, than I'm used to. And they lured, they tried to lure the cat out of the tea plantation with 90 live chickens. <laughs> Someone should have videoed that whole thing. That's that's a million views on YouTube right there. Someone videoed the whole thing. I'm, I'm surprised China let that yeah, information even get out like a leopard did. hiding affair. <laughs> yeah, did you see? And they even had like a one of those, um, gosh, not a parasailer, but a guy that had, it was one of those those little aeroplanes that you sit in with the big propeller behind you with a right. parachute above mm -hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. 
that was what was being used to search for the leopards. Yeah, oh, chaos. Chaos that over is chaos. They, they China did hide it for a while. They kept it they kept it under wraps for a few days before they let the public know and then they thought we better tell people about this thing roaming around in the tea fields. Yep, and so the the Chinese news sites uh you know they came out and they were very prim and proper and they gave some advice to the Chinese uh public and the advice went like this. Don't look them straight in the eye. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't panic. If attacked, it added Consider as a last resort ramming your fist down the leopard's throat. That is your only chance of saving your life. You know, there was a guy really? here in Isn't Idaho. Isn't that a pretty that, solid uh, chance of losing your arm? No, you'd be surprised. There was a there was a there was a dude here. Uh, he was camped out in the back country here in Idaho. This was a few years ago, and uh, a black bear came in to his camp, middle of the night wakes him up and and starts, you know, they kind of wrestle around or something. And the dude sticks his whole arm into the bear's mouth. And he claims that that's what saved his life. He had to get a couple of stitches, but it it threw the bear off and the bear was just uncomfortable enough that it ran off. So I get it. I get that advice. I don't care. I don't, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't at all. That's not going to be my strategy. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to keep my limbs out of his mouth. That's going to be a strategy. Yeah. Well, Jim, any last thoughts uh, as we wrap this thing up? We appreciate your insight. It's been a phenomenal uh, hour. The time has flown. Um, any last insights? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it has flown by, man. I uh, just really, I, I do sincerely, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I'm a big fan of Blood Origins and love the videos that you guys do, love the content that you put out. I, I think that this is a very important thing that, that we're doing tonight. And I think that a lot more people, you know, I, I always hate to use the term hunting industry. Um, let's call it the community, the, the, the community of hunters, whether you're down in the Southeast and you're a big time whitetail hunter, or you're in Texas and you're a big time hog hunter or an elk hunter out here in the West, or, you know, whatever the case is, Alaskan caribou hunter, I don't care. Um, Whatever kind of hunter you are, I think that it's important that we all talk and we we kind of exchange this, this messaging and, and these visions that we have for our lifestyle and let it be known that we're serious about it. This is this is who we are and uh, we're not here to apologize, but we are more than happy to explain the why. We were talking about the why earlier and and there's a lot of hunting podcasts out there and I I, I feel strongly about you know, these, these podcasts doing what we're doing now, just communicating with each other and, and getting this messaging out there and making sure that as, as a community, we're, we're united and we're all on the same page because at the end of the day, I don't care if you're a rifle hunter or a bow, a, a bow hunter or a muzzleloader hunter or a spear hunter. I don't care what you do. At the end of the day, our goal is a notch tag and a full freezer. And, and really that doesn't change across the board. Um, and, and I think that that's super important and the, I, I just think it's great what you guys are doing, Robbie and Cody. I, I think you guys are, uh, an inspiration to a lot of hunters out there and, and we just, uh, we need guys like you guys. We, we need you and, and we appreciate it for sure. Thank you, Jim. We really appreciate the kind words and, um, yeah, we, we really enjoyed having you on and, um, yeah, you may want to just, once you get off here, become a supporter of Blood Origins and you may want to go to, you know, maybe lucky enough and go to Spain. Hey, I'm going to try it, man. My odds are just as good as anybody else's, right? Exactly. That's absolutely correct. 
We're big fans of your podcast too, Jim. I've been listening to it um, since you launched it. Um, I'll admit that like the reason I found your podcast is I moved to Colorado. Um, oh, really? And I'm a Kansas boy. I'm a flatland whitetail hunter. Yeah. Um, and I moved up to Colorado and just kind of had to uh, submerge myself in digital, like, because I'm, I moved here the, the week that Trump started the shutdowns of Corona, literally. I mean, that's when I moved up here, March 13th. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. Um, and so I didn't really, there wasn't a lot of, wasn't a lot of socializing with the neighbors and stuff. So I did a lot of exploring um, Western hunting stuff and have followed your podcast ever since and uh, really enjoy it. It's good stuff. Oh, I appreciate hearing that, man. I, um, you guys, you guys both have an invite to Idaho. If you ever come uh, want to come up and hunt elk with me. Where are you, where are you just like East West? Where are you at? I'm not asking for specifics. I'm so I'm up North. I'm in the, I'm in the panhandle of Idaho, uh, kind of sandwiched between Washington and Montana. Uh, there's a little town called Coeur d'Alene. Uh, well, it, I gotta, I gotta stop saying that it's not a little town anymore. Coeur d'Alene is, uh, quite the, uh, metropolitan area these days. So, um, we're just North out of Coeur d'Alene and, uh, probably an hour, hour and a half to Canada and 45 minutes or so to Spokane, Washington. So that's, that's where we're at. Awesome. I love the Coeur d'Alene area. I've been there before. Yeah. And I'm uh, going to hunt mule deer in 62A this year down. 62A is the one that butts right up to the park Yeah, um, in Idaho. But uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, you know, that's exciting. Cody, any final words? Who are you talking to, me or Cody? You go ahead. Jim. <laughs> I was just go gonna, ahead. Jim. Sorry, guys. You were gonna finish. You were gonna say <laughs> something. I cut you no, off. No, no, no. You're good. We've got this delay, so and, and I'm I'm used to it. So now that 62A is a great unit, Cody. Uh, let me know if you have any questions on that one. I've I've spent uh, enough time to to point you in the right direction, at least. Super. Will do. No, I don't have anything else, Robbie. Good episode. Good topics. Uh, thanks again, Jim. Everybody, check out the. Uh, western huntsman podcast right after you go become a supporter of blood origins absolutely well said well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting